This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wachenheim III, Sylvia A. and Simon B. Poita Programming Endowment to Fight Anti-Semitism, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Betty and John Levin, and by Janet Prindle Seidler, Jody and John Arnhold, Cheryl and Philip Milstein family, Judy and Josh Weston, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation. Good evening and welcome to the special edition of Metro Focus Medical Marvels. I'm Jenna Flanagan. From the vaccine and life-saving treatments to rapid testing, this past year has truly been an extraordinary one for scientific achievement. These remarkable feats in our battle against COVID-19 continue to receive plenty of attention, and rightfully so, amid all the heartbreak. Still, there are so many other medical marvels happening every day that have nothing to do with the virus. And tonight, as part of our series on these healthcare breakthroughs, we're taking you back inside the operating room for a firsthand look at one of the human body's more exceptional features, our eyes. In just a moment, we'll discuss some of the major advancements in how we care for our vision with two ophthalmologists, a father and son team who have performed tens of thousands of surgeries right here in New York. But we begin with how their team at the McCool Eye Institute and Laser Center is using technology to change lives. Here's Dr. Richard McCool with his patient Thomas and Tom's mother, Donna. And just a warning, the surgical scenes you're about to see are a bit graphic and were recorded prior to the pandemic. Thomas suffers from Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. He's one of the older boys with the condition. He's 30 years old. He's been on steroids for a long time as are used for the condition and that's caused him to develop uh, severe cataracts that have greatly limited his vision, actually making him legally blind. His mother, Donna, um, has been totally devoted to his care, and thus Tom is with us today to get his vision improved by cataract surgery. So how you doing, Tom? Here. I'm good. You're up for this? Yep, I'm ready. Right. Gonna win one for the Gipper, are we? Yeah, I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Tom's a brave young boy. There'll be some important things that we have to pay attention to for, for patients with medical conditions such as this one. Thomas, for example, can't lie very flat for very long. Uh, that's a problem. He obviously doesn't have control over all of his musculature, uh, very little of his musculature. So we'll be paying attention to that as well. Anesthesia, we really don't want to sedate him if at all, because that interferes with his respiratory function. That's gonna be the goals, and so off we go to get this done for Tom. Here's Tom in the operating room. He weighs 60 pounds, his mom weighs 90. She's picking him up and carrying him to the table. She knows how to carry him the best. Now we're gonna get him into position and make him comfortable before we partially recline the chair. We're going to cover him as we do every patient, but Tom has um, some claustrophobia. 
breathing uh, problems will give that to people. So we're going to elevate the drapes, and you can see they're elevated from his head here, um, away from me, as I'm preparing his eye for the surgery, putting the drapes on. So you can see the extreme density of the posterior subcapsular opacity here. We'll be using Tripan Blue to be able to visualize the anterior capsule. Good, nice and still. I'm gonna hold them as still as I can. And when I get them right, then I'll make the side port puncture in and out quickly. Same thing, back toward the lights, Tom. Good, nice and still, just like that. Okay, and now we'll stain his anterior capsule. That was a 2.4 millimeter keratone. So air, tripan, let it sit for a few seconds. Okay, Tom, try to look straight ahead. Slip in here. So I now have that piece of lens material that was sub-incisional. And I'm just going to press that into the port and get rid of it. So now we'll remove the cortex. So now we're going to put this Restore 2.5 IOL. Directly into the capsular sac. and tuck it in there before it unfolds. And last of all, we've got to put in the vancomycin. All good? All right. So you'll be able to see better, like, immediately. You see my hands and everything? That was one big cataract. Okay. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. So we're back here with uh, Tom and his mother. We're now two months since Tom's had his surgical procedures to correct his vision, and things have gone quite well. Let Tom tell us all about it, but it's uh, been a, an awfully nice thing for all of us to watch Tom regain his sight. So, Tom, how are things, how are things uh, from your perspective? Uh, really good. I can DJ again. I watch, uh, I watch football on TV and uh, I can see my cell phone and computer and the signs in the car, like the, the uh, traffic signs and all that stuff, and I can see people more clearly. And joining us now to continue the conversation are Dr. Richard McCool, who you just saw. He's the founder and director of the McCool Eye Institute and Laser Center in Queens. Dr. McCool is also an internationally recognized expert on microsurgery of the eye. Welcome, Dr. McCool. Oh, hi there, Jenna. Nice, very nice to be with you today. It's so nice to be with you. And I'd also like to welcome Dr. R.J. McCool, who's the assistant director of the McCool Eye Institute. He's also an expert in several fields related to our site and an attending surgeon at both the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary of Mount Sinai and NYU Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. R.J. McCool. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you both so much for joining us. So first, I just want to start off by saying that the video that we saw was obviously remarkable and emphasis on the word obviously. Uh, we saw a gentleman go from being legally blind to having essentially 20-20 vision. And I'm wondering just as doctors, as medical professionals, what is it like to be able to give someone their sight back? And uh, Dr. McCool Sr., I'll start with you. It's, it's almost indescribable. I, I have to tell you, even as I see these patients after the surgery and I gaze into their eyes, the eye is one inch long. And I look at it and I see what we've done and I say, did I do that? My goodness. And the smiles, the, the incredible humanity of it all, it just keeps you going. You know, we've been through so much recently, one doesn't have to dwell on it. And when you are able to find this kind of pleasure, you just count yourself lucky. And, you know, Tom and his mother, Donna, are just such wonderful people. And the struggle, imagine what she's had to do to keep this young man not just functional, alive. And here he is. He's, he's smart. He's active. He's a DJ. I mean, come on. Totally paralyzed. And he can't handle glasses, by the way. Of course, he's paralyzed. So we used implants that let him see distance and up close. And wow, yeah, it, okay, I'm blown away like everybody else. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's really, really amazing uh, to not only know is possible, but I'm sure to be able to actually do yourself. And so, uh, Dr. R.J. McCool, uh, what is it, so many of us, all we know about our eyes is simply don't touch them, and then that's about the extent of it, but what are some of the major medical breakthroughs that have happened in eye care, at least in the past decade, that we might not fully understand? We've made a lot of advances in several areas of ophthalmology. I think uh, glaucoma, especially surgically, is treated in a much more efficient way than it used to be. Our old surgeries were outdated. We would make a hole in the eye to let fluid drain out when people had high pressures. And it was an uncontrolled procedure. But through medical innovation, we developed minimally invasive glaucoma procedures that allow us to do things like go into the actual drainage canal of the eye and clean it out. It's called a canaloplasty. That's uh, become much more popular in recent times. Uh, we also have little implants that we can put in the angle of the eye to treat glaucoma. That alone has saved vision in, in countless patients without very onerous procedures that are very difficult to undergo. And many of our patients are older. They're in their 80s. And it's very difficult for them to have a very strenuous procedure where they go in and out of the, hospital, the uh, office weeks and weeks in a row. These procedures are done at the time of cataract surgery and take the place of these more difficult procedures that we used to have to do. We also have artificial iris implants that are now FDA approved. I was involved in the FDA study for that. So that people who have had traumatic eye injuries can now have a reconstruction that not only gives them vision, but gives them a, a cosmetically normal appearing eye. Um, I look forward to the day when we have an implant that really can autofocus like a camera. That will have to be done eventually. But all of these advances are in the near future and they're happening constantly in labs all over the United States. 
Well, speaking of the future, uh, what role does the development of AI play in any of this? I mean, it seems like with artificial intelligence, the sky is the limit. Um, and yeah, uh, Dr. McCool, uh, Senior, your thoughts? So AI certainly holds great promise for research and education and the spreading of information. Um, what we're seeing in the operating room over the past, it's been a 30, 40 year progression, is, is first we developed the ability to see tiny structures because you can't operate on them if you can't see them. And that meant using a microscope to operate. Most people think of a microscope as something you use in a laboratory to, to look at blood cells. Can you imagine using one to operate? In that video, the magnification was 20, 30, 40 times to see tiny little details. We're operating in a space inside the human eye that's equivalent to about two or three drops of water, drops. Our margin for error is 1 50th of an inch. And that eye is collapsible. So we use scanning lasers to monitor the pressure in the eye. And we use incredibly rapid response uh, software to maintain that pressure in the normal levels. Otherwise, two or three drops can become one drop in the eye. And one drop is calamitous trauma. So we have a margin for error of about, of about zero. And humans, you know, humans couldn't put a man on the moon, but software could. And, and humans, yes, we're required to do this procedure, but without the technology, forget it, we couldn't do it. So the, the marriage, if you will, of the technology and the companies that have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in it. And these skill sets have just made this procedure not a week in the hospital and an hour of surgery. Minutes of surgery, immediately you leave without a bandage and you see better. Not bad. Which again is just absolutely mind blowing, at least to a lay person, a lay medical person like myself. Uh, Dr. R.J. McCool, um, one of the other things that I was interested in was what we saw with uh, the young man, Tom, in the video in the beginning. Was that an outlier case or is there more possibilities for people with low vision to have that vision expanded or returned to essentially 2020? It's a worldwide problem. You know, there are so many people suffering from needless blindness throughout the world. And, you know, we're privileged to be in a country where we can treat these diseases that are so severe. But even in this country, there are patients who walk around and don't realize they can have their sight restored. Uh, we've had patients who had injuries, traumatic injuries to the eye. Even recently, I had a, a young woman who had an airbag injury, and she's been uh, working with very low vision in her eye, but through a full reconstruction, a very complicated procedure, but a full reconstruction. I can offer her vision in that eye again. Every year, we get better at what we do. And I think it's the striving to get better at what we do that's really the, the lifeblood of the field, you know, trying to make it better every year. And also trying to educate people, not only in this country, but other countries, uh, with our techniques that we develop rapidly and efficiently. And, you know, so I think worldwide ophthalmology has also become uh, better 
substantially better year by year. Um, so I, I see a huge advance, advances every several months even in our own specialty. Well, with all of these advancements that you're talking about, um, are we potentially headed into a world where blindness, at least as we knew it, might be a thing of the past, that that might be a curable condition, or perhaps could it be something that could be prevented to begin with? I think much of the research is into genetics. You know, macular degeneration is something that's extremely hard to uh, cure. So there are areas of the field that um, we're in our infancy. So I'd say that you know, for, for surgical trauma, for injuries, for cataract surgery, we're, we're reaching a level where you know, people don't have to suffer from blindness anymore. But retinal disease is extremely complex. That is an area that we're still working very hard on. Two plus years ago, we launched three-dimensional online surgical training. Three-dimensional. First time it's ever been done. So that anybody with a PC anywhere in the world can log on to a site called McCool Online 3D CME, Continuing Medical Education. And with a simple pair of 3D goggles can get the same exact view of the eye that we had when we did the surgery. So we now can train people remotely, remote training. I mean, the only thing better is if you had a robot that you could send out there and do it. So they get to see in 3D the exact procedure because trying to train people first at a distance and second using two-dimensional photography, videography, is a, is a large step below providing 3D. I'm wondering, you spoke a little bit about uh the delicacy of the type of surgeries that you do, uh, microsurgery. And I'm also wondering, uh, is this becoming, is this still a very small and specialized field or is this something that you see as growing more as people understand more about the human eye? Um, in the United States, we're fortunate to have enough of the specialists to deliver even the, I'll call it tertiary care, which means extremely advanced microsurgical procedures. There are countries that have very, very limited facilities to do this. And we need more training. We do. There is a worldwide shortage of, of the highly skilled end of physicians in many, many specialties. We have patients traveling to New York from virtually every continent to, to undergo procedures that we perform. And it's been that way for decades. Um, I think certain parts of the world have caught up or are certainly catching up and others um, where there are more financial problems, um, they're just not doing as well. But we're now, as I discussed earlier, we're spreading the, the, the education. I mean, that's really the basis here. You know, we have the tools, we've got the technology, we have the know-how. We need to spread it. We need to get it out there. And, and that's why, I don't know, I, I call it a legacy, but I'm awfully proud of what we've accomplished over the internet uh, to, to teach this to people. And we have thousands of ophthalmologists every month around the world who watch these and training programs use them as a major part of their training for their 
their surgeons in training. I'm wondering from your experience, since we're still learning so much about how this virus uh, interacts with the body, do we know if it has any sort of effects on our eyes or our vision since it seems to touch just about every other sense? Yeah, luckily, it doesn't seem to do uh, with any significant incidence damage to the human eyes. There's some evidence that it might be possible to spread it through human tears, but that seems to occur extremely rarely. So the eyes, while they don't remain unscathed from many diseases, seem to do well in the era of COVID, thank goodness. Well, I mean, again, it's, I think it's the little things that we have learned to be uh, thankful for. Uh, Dr. R.J. McCool, I'm wondering if the pandemic has had any effect on uh, patients that you're able to actually see and work on. We know that there was a period where people were hesitant to try to get any medical care because there was a fear of being in a medical space given the pandemic. And now that seems to have... Uh, subsided a bit. I'm wondering if, I guess, is there a longer wait for people to be able to get the kind of eye care that they need or have things returned as much as possible back to normal? When the epidemic first started, it was very difficult. Most of our patients are over 70 years old. They're fearful of any illness, including just a simple common cold. And, you know, they didn't want to come into the office and rightfully so. Uh, in fact, I myself was not, a, I wasn't afraid for myself if I got COVID. I was afraid I would spread it to my patients and we have a huge problem. So, uh, you know, during the first few months, you saw patients that were very hesitant to come in. They would have glaucoma and they would really not come to the office for their checkups. And slowly, that returned to normal. Now, patients have returned to the doctor's office, I think, throughout the New York area uh, to a much greater extent. There are still some people that don't want to come in but the ones who really need to see their doctor are coming in to be seen. Um, you know, the, the difficulties we experienced were really uh, substantial and should not be underestimated. The eye checkups on average for the average person aren't necessary, but for people with severe eye disease, it was critical that they got to see their doctor. So thankfully, especially with the vaccinations ticking up, uh, we're seeing patients getting back into the office. Of course, with the pandemic, we are all, like we are now, interacting more with other people through computers. And there's been a lot of concern about the effect of long-term exposure to a computer screen on your eyes. So from your professional uh, opinion, what would you, I guess, recommend to the average person who might find themselves spending now six hours, seven maybe even eight if you try to talk to your family members a day staring at a computer screen. And uh, Dr. Richard McCool, you first. So the good news there, when computers first came out, everybody was terrified that it was gonna cause every disease known to man from eye disease to brain tumors. Same thing with cell phones. And the good news is they don't. And they're great tools for education, but they don't cause disease. So what does cause a lot of preventable illness is some fairly simple stuff. The two, the two most common would be untreated high blood pressure and untreated diabetes. 
and they're epidemic in the United States. And the diagnosis of high blood pressure that most of us in our lifetime will have, most of us will de develop some high blood pressure. That's an amazing statement. And at least half of us won't be properly treated for it. Huge. So how do you, how do you protect yourself from that? Because you know what high blood pressure damages? Everything. Your brain, your eyes, your kidneys, you name it. It increases your risk for Alzheimer's. Take care of your blood pressure, folks. And that's, here's how you do that. Buy yourself a blood pressure cup for $100. Take your blood pressure at home and write it down morning, afternoon, at night. A lot of us are sitting around at home looking for things to do. Write it down. Bring that book to your doctor when you go for your checkup. Because just going in and having your blood pressure measured once a year, ah, that's really not very meaningful. Blood pressure can jump up and down in seconds. You bring that in, get properly cared for with your blood pressure. That will probably do more for your overall general health, longevity, and quality of life than anything else I can tell you, except don't smoke, but you already knew that. <laughs> uh, Dr. RJ McCool, we have about 60 seconds left, but yeah, any advice for just basic care? I do think one thing about screen time is important to recognize children are spending a lot of time staring at phones, they're spending a lot of time staring at these screens. And, you know, there's a, an epidemic of myopia, specifically in Asia, and they've done some investigative work on this. And part of it, they think, is potentially the fact that there's not enough exposure to sunlight on some level, but a lot of it is just constantly accommodating, constantly looking at screens that's causing this, this epidemic. So I think it's important for your children to get them away from the screens. You know, they should know to take a break. Uh, to look outside the window, to do something else for a few moments, and not just stare at their phone for hours on end or their screens on end. Uh, that's critically important. It's not for adults, it doesn't matter. Your eyes are what they're going to be. But for people in that developmental age, you, you want them, uh, you know, you want them doing something other than staring at that screen nonstop for hours on end. Well, I think that is excellent advice and probably uh, challenging advice at the same time for parents at this particular moment. But I want to thank both of my guests, Dr. Richard McCool and Dr. RJ McCool, both ophthalmologists, both leaders in the field of eye care and specifically surgeries on the human eye. Thank you both for joining us and explaining some of what the new advancements are in the field. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.